Please do turn to John's Gospel, chapter 19. And our text is just one word in the Greek original. It's three in English. We read it in context, verse 30 of John, chapter 19. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Christ's work finished. Just one word in the original, what an economy the Bible uses. The Lord Jesus never wastes anything. He doesn't waste words. He says literally, finished. It's a bold statement. It's the sixth of the seven statements of the Lord Jesus, and in moving to this sixth statement, we move from his prayer for those who still sit in ignorance. They don't know what they do. The Lord Jesus prayed for them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We move from his suffering and from his agony as he felt the very fullness of what it means to be forsaken. But we come to a turning point. Was there ever a greater turning point in the whole of history? This pivotal word, finished, the Lord Jesus comes to victory. This is the turning point of history, finished. Finished, finished, was his cry. The Lord Jesus, I believe, is declaring a number of great declarations. What's a declaration? We have the Declaration of Independence. It's a statement. It was a declaration made by those who are citizens of America that they were free. But here we have many declarations, and I'm going to come to look at them this morning. I won't tell you how many, but there's a number here in what the Lord Jesus is saying. As he says, it is finished, he is declaring that through his life and death, certain things have been accomplished. It is finished. Do you know every religion in the world, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity and faith in Christ, says this, do, 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 keep working, keep giving, keep resting in something that you've done, some prayer that you can make some rosary beads that you can count and twiddle with your fingers. Do, do, do. These words say something altogether different. They say the word done. Done. It is finished. There's nothing left to do. Nothing for you to do, nothing for the church to do, nothing for Christ to do. It is done. Finished. It's over. Everything that was necessary for God to do 
has been done in Jesus Christ. Everything that's necessary for Christ to do has been done. You don't need to do anything. And in fact, you can't do anything because Christ has died. He shed his blood, he's offered his righteousness, and now he can say, done. It is finished. Glorious words. They're words of declaration, they're words of triumph, and they're words of joy this morning. What do I need to do to be saved? Nothing, in a sense. Just to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's what the Word of God tells us. The Lord Jesus Christ, he goes to the greatest altar that has ever been made, not really made with human hands, but the altar and the sacrifice is Christ. Christ there shed his blood. What did he do? Did he do it to be done again and again and again? No, the book of Hebrews says, once, once. It says that the high priest used to go into the Holy of Holies again and again and the blood of an animal was shed and put upon the altar. But when Christ came, it was finished. Once he shed his blood and once he offered up himself the altar to do away with every other man-made altar. The one who came so humbly to Bethlehem and suffered ultimate humiliation on the cross is lifted up to glory. Not to wear the crown of thorns, but to wear the crown of life. Having suffered these six hours he says, it is finished. So I want to look at some of these declarations. Spurgeon said, through his work, his finished work, every stumbling block to salvation is pushed away. Every gate that barred the way is now open. And the bars of brass and the gates of iron are burst asunder because Christ has opened up the new and living way. It is finished. What an economy and an efficiency in these three English words. It is finished. But surely there's a provocative thought. What is finished? When did it start? What does it mean? It? What's it? It is finished. There's such a depth of meaning. We will only scratch the surface this morning. It is finished. Now therefore, when Jesus had received the vinegar 
to extend his suffering. Remember, it was the vinegar that gave an alertness to his senses. Once he'd done everything that he needed to do, he says, it is finished. He bows his head. That's what somebody crucified does. They lose the ability to keep their straight posture and they bow. They bow before life has ended. There will be one more statement. He will commit himself and his spirit into the hands of his heavenly Father. So the first declaration which we can suppose that Christ had in his mind is this. He was declaring that all the Old Testament and the New Testament prophecies concerning him had now been fulfilled. The first promise was given in Genesis 3, chapter 15. It was a prophecy following the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies. And so the promise was this. Satan's head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is Christ. Who would crush that head? The head of the serpent, Christ would. And it would be crushed in Christ receiving the punishment that we deserved, the humiliation, the pain, but it wouldn't be Christ's head that would be crushed. It would be his heel that would be crushed where the snake went. Only the heel of Christ would be bruised. And that just for a time. His humanity, his church, his people would experience something of that being taken by Satan. There were many prophecies throughout the Old Testament. Recent weeks we've looked at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we've looked at Psalm 69. Well, we might say that the prophecies about the resurrection had not yet been fulfilled. And in a sense, in chronological time, they hadn't. And yet the Lord Jesus had said the words himself. He had the power to lay down his life and he had power to take it up again. And so as with all the prophecies, it was as good as done. When Christ says it is finished, he's saying all the prophecies concerning him have been Fulfilled. Why is prophecy so important? Many people don't believe in prophecy today. They say that's of time gone, that's all gone now. But no, the Bible has so many prophecies. They are an evidence that God's word is authoritative. What it says, it means... And what it tells us about the future, it will happen, and it challenges us, it warns us. If God 
can prophesy the future, which surely he can with a thousand or more prophecies in the Bible, then if he knows the future, we need to be warned and take heed and listen to what he says about our lives and our sin and about the world and about heaven and hell. That's why prophecy is important and Christ is saying, it is finished. The prophecies are accomplished. Be warned. The ones concerning the time after his death are yet to be fulfilled, his second coming. What will happen when he comes? Be warned. There will be a time when he comes again and all the things that he says about the end of the world, they will be fulfilled. So that's the first declaration. All the Old and New Testament prophecies, many that Christ spoke, about his pending death, they were now finished. Secondly, what about all the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the signposts and the tokens which spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ? In Christ dying upon the cross, he was effectively signaling that the Old Testament era was now ended. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine there was a sign up saying, food rations can be handed in here. Well, we all know that food rations were part of the First and Second World War. If you were to put an advertisement up today in 2024, it wouldn't mean anything. There's no point. They've lost their meaning. Perhaps looking to the future. We're told that all the cars and vehicles that we will drive in 10, 20, 30 years' time, they'll be fueled with hydrogen or electricity. What's the point of a diesel petrol pump in 20, 30 years' time. They're just a relic. And so it's the same with all the Old Testament practices. We don't need to paint the blood upon the door. But we do remember the Lord's Supper because Christ has come. We don't need to remember all the rituals and the ceremonies. We don't need to have the signposts. Now we worship God in spirit and in truth. We only have two visual aids, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And anyone that tells you that you need to worship God with a necklace around your neck or with gowns and ceremonies and this, that and the other, they don't know the New Testament. Christ says... It is finished. Now we worship in spirit. And in truth, we don't have crosses. We don't wear crosses. We worship the risen Christ. The one that we come to in spirit. 
and truth. It was always about heart religion. In the Old Testament, anybody that came in word only, the Lord Jesus frowned upon them. You hypocrites, he says. It was to be about the heart and about truth and sincerity. Have you come to worship this morning with your body, with your lips, but your heart is far from God? It is finished. That era is over. Now we come with a pure heart, confessing our sin, making our vows before God. Secondly, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, they are ended. Thirdly, I'm sure the Lord Jesus was saying this, his sufferings and his abject humiliation is now over. There won't be any more there won't be a need for the reenactment of Christ's suffering and death. Christ says it's over. The final drop of the cup of God's wrath has been drunken up. The Lord Jesus has suffered the humiliation of the six hours. All the agony and the suffering that he needed to take up for my salvation and for yours if you will put your faith in Christ has been finished. Isn't that glorious? I don't need to do anything. I don't need to, to punish myself. I don't need to cut the wrists. I don't need to wear anything to constrict my breathing. People do this, even today. They think there's some merit. They think there's some honor. They think they'll get nearer to God if they do something to themselves. But Christ says, no, it's over. It's finished. All the blood that needed to be shed all the pain that needed to be taken has been taken. It's been worn by Christ with the crown of thorns and he's taken it gladly, willingly. And he's drunk the cup. I'm sure it means that. Fourthly, I think we can say this. He was declaring, he was making a statement that the demands of the law were now satisfied. The law, God's laws, which rest upon every life. Every life is under the law. Until we're under grace, and then we're still under the law in a sense, because it's our guide for life. It's the way that we please God. But up until the time, that Christ died, the law hung above me like a sword of Damocles. It said, death 
If you can't keep it, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. But as soon as Christ has died, the gift of God is eternal life. And Christ was saying, I have satisfied. That's an old-fashioned word. It means the debt's been paid. What we could not pay, Christ has paid. The obligation that we were under, perfection, Christ has offered up his perfect life. And so the demands of the law, tick, 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 satisfied. I couldn't do it, neither can you. But Christ says, the holiness of God has fallen on me, and I have borne the justice that you don't need to bear, because I've been punished instead of you. If you will only trust in me, God's perfect holiness demanded justice be done, and justice has been done. And Christ says, it's finished. I've satisfied the laws of God because I've taken that punishment. Well, fifthly, I think it says this. Christ was declaring something wonderful. Here's my sin, all of it. All the sins of every day of my life, that's the things I know about and the things I don't know about because I sin unknowingly. The sins I've done and said and thought and been, in fact, I am sin. Christ says, my sin has been transferred and put upon him. Isaiah put it this way, nearly 3,000 years ago, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's a lovely picture in Leviticus 16. There were two goats, and on the day of atonement, the two goats were taken and one was killed. The blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and put upon that mercy seat, foreshadowing what Christ would do. But there was one goat that remained alive. and The priest would take the goat by the head and send it into the wilderness to be forsaken. And figuratively, my sin, your sin, the sins of the people that we deserve to have punished was put on that living goat. One dead, one alive. One dead had to, one goat had to die, one had to live. That goat that went into the wilderness was forsaken, deserted sent into the desert, sent away. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. He died, shed his blood, but he also experienced that being forsaken. And the sin of us 
who believe his people was transferred and put on Christ instead of on us. Is your sin on you today? Or has it been put and taken on Christ? That's the, sec the fifth thing that Christ was declaring. My sin transferred and put upon him. We come to the sixth. I'm sure Christ was saying this. He was declaring that the whole purpose of his incarnation, the whole goal of his life, had now been fulfilled, met. Why did he come to the earth? Paul puts it this way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he says, it is finished. He's done his work. Of course, his work was more than that. First of all, had to prove that he is the Son of God. He did that in his birth. He did it in his life. He did it in his death. He had to teach the way. He had to point the way to Calvary. He had to live that perfect life. He had to explain about his second coming. But he did all these things. Now he can say, it is finished. The whole of my goal of my life has been met. Oh, none of us can say that. We have things left undone every day and in a life there isn't enough time to do what we wanted to do, but Christ lived not a moment longer than he needed to. And he can say it is finished. Every goal, every aspiration, every plan that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit gave to me, it is finished. Seventhly, there's something even more wonderful. There on the cross, there was an almighty battle a battle that has never been known since. The battle between, we could say, good and evil. The battle between Christ and between Satan. And that battle, it raged for those six hours. We couldn't see it. It was in the soul of Christ. And that battle was so fierce. The battle really had waged for many years. It's called the long war against God. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, Satan has been at war with Christ. Up until then, Satan is called the prince of darkness and he saw the world as his playground and he's wreaked havoc wreaked havoc in many lives. He's bullied. He's forced. He's controlled. But as Christ is about to breathe his final breath, the Lord Jesus can say that Satan has been conquered 
Oh yes, he's not been thrown into the bottomless pit. The Lord Jesus, though announced in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Yes, Satan is cast out. He will still reign in those lives of those people that want him to reign. But any that want the rule of Christ, it's not necessary that Satan should rule over your life. Because when Christ died and said it was finished, he was announcing and he was declaring that Satan's rule was broken. He no longer rules over my life. He doesn't rule over his church, Christ's church, and he doesn't need to rule over your life this morning. You don't need to sit in darkness. You don't need to be chained. You can be free. The Lord Jesus says, it is finished. The battle has been waged and it's been won. Yes, we still experience Satan. But in every believer's life, Satan does not rule anymore. We've got the victory. Sin is not inevitable. Satan doesn't need to control me because I walk in light and in life and in liberty. And then eighthly, this is a bit like the Puritans, I know, some of them overlap, but he was declaring that redemption had been accomplished. You see, redemption involved many of the things that we've mentioned. My sin needed to be transferred. Christ's blood needed to be shed so that I can be atoned. His righteousness needed to be offered up. But Christ is declaring redemption, all of it, for all of his people, has been accomplished. Every part of it finished. The price paid. The chains broken. Redemption accomplished. And then, in time, it will be applied as every sheep Here's the master's voice. But then ninthly, just two more. We know that death is declared to have been destroyed. You see, in just three days, death would have no hold upon him. As in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all, all his people, be made alive. His life's work, his atoning work on the cross is complete. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death! is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law.
he was announcing death won't hold every believer. Every believer will be in the grave, yes, but they won't be held. They will rise with him. They will rise with him for all eternity. Death cannot hold a believer. It won't hold us in life. There's a sense in which we already have new life. And then in our physical death, we won't be held. Death has been broken, swallowed up in victory. But finally this morning, we can put it like this. There is a declaration, an all-encompassing declaration when he declares total, final, comprehensive victory. Everything has been achieved. He didn't leave one T uncrossed. He didn't leave an I undotted. Everything has been accomplished. Let me read these verses. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory secured, victory given. We put it like this. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. 2 Corinthians 2.15 In Christ and makes manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place because Christ declares his victory. Now we are unto God, every believer's life, a sweet savour of Christ in them which are saved and in them which perish. Your life as a believer demonstrates the victory of Christ. It's either a savour, a sweet-smelling savour of Christ unto life, or we're a savour of death unto death. What are we this morning? And what is the cross of Christ? Is it a savour of death? Does this speak death to you? Or does it speak life? It's one or the other. All these declarations, you are either one who is moved and you feel your sin, you see your Saviour. And to you it's life. It's your only hope of life. Or this morning, it's the savour of death unto death. What will it be? When he says it is finished, can you say it is finished? Hallelujah, my Saviour. He has died for me. I've put my faith in him, my trust in him. He has washed me clean. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Can you say that this morning? If you can, you are a believer in Jesus Christ and death for you cannot hold you. 
and it will hold no fear. But for any who are still outside of Christ, these things must make you think. These things must make you think of your sin and your need of the Saviour. Christ on the cross, Christ's work finished comprehensively, absolutely, totally, victory accomplished. Hallelujah.